Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 137. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and this week, let's talk about a lot of, a lot of discussion about the Fed, about tapering. Are they going to raise rates early? And we got some, not really news, but something that hasn't happened in a while, and that's the 10-year Treasury bond closed above 1.6%. Uh, it was by five one-thousandths of 1%. 1.605, I believe, was the final number on Friday. And so you're starting to hear more and more about, will the Fed taper or they won't? First off, what does Fed tapering mean? So a lot of people may think it's interest rates. And yes, interest rates are essentially zero. And they've been that way since, I think, March of 2020. But there's a, a couple other things. When we say taper... What they mean is uh, paring back or reducing the amount of quote-unquote stimulus they're giving to the bond market. So what they're doing, they're buying $120 billion a month between MBS, that's mortgage-backed securities, and treasuries. And so they're going out and they're buying treasuries. And of the treasuries, they're actually buying some of the TIPS bonds as well. Those are the ones, the Treasury Inflation-Protected Securities. So... I don't think anybody is talking about them getting rid of the $120 billion a month. The question is, do they start pairing that back? Do they say, okay, we're going to only buy $110 billion next month, and eventually you know, we want to get back down to, uh, to zero. So that's really the first thing that they could do. And I don't, I, you know, the Federal Reserve has said basically they, they don't see interest rates changing, and we'll, we'll talk about rates a little bit later. But when you hear about tapering, that's what they're talking about. They're saying they're buying $120 billion a month, every month. And so that's, uh, you know, I mean, 10 months of that is $1.2 trillion. And, you know, so you're talking about like around $1.4 trillion a year or something like that. So that's what they're saying. And the reason why people talk about taper tantrums Bernanke back in, was it 2013 or 2014, he just hinted at the Fed reducing the amount of purchases they do every month, and the market did not like that. And so that is, uh, that's something that people are taking a look at. But they don't have to eliminate it. I mean, they, they could say, oh, we're only going to buy $119 billion next month. So it's reducing the amount of their taper, not eliminating it. And, you know, that's... The, the question, too, is a, a lot of this right now is sort of like good news is bad news, bad news is good news for, in some regards. And one of the areas that you look at is the employment picture. And so unemployment came out and unemployment, the rate is down to 4.8%. To give you a little, little you know, sort of basis, in April of 2020, the rate got up to 14.8% right before uh, the last clean, I don't want to say clean number, but the last number before the COVID lockdowns, Feb of 20 was 3.5%. So remember though, the unemployment rate does not measure everybody who's unemployed. It's a survey and, and basically they, they call people up. I think they still use, use phone calls and they say, you know, yeah, are you working? Yes or no? Uh, yeah, I'm working. Okay, thank you very much. If you're not working, have you looked for work within X number of weeks? And if somebody has stopped looking for work or hasn't looked in 
you know, too recent of a time, they're excluded from the survey. And so unemployment rate is coming down. It's not where it was prior to the, the lockdowns for COVID in, in, uh, you know, in, in March and uh, was a Q2 of 20. So yeah, unemployment's coming down. So you would think, okay, that, that gives the Fed reason to taper, but hold on a second. And if we look at the, the labor participation rate, and that is uh, the amount of the, the workforce that's, um, basically it's, it's uh, what do they say this? It's household survey data. It's, a, it's civilian labor force participation rate. And uh, what you're looking at here is really what percent of the population is working versus those that uh, are not working. And so it actually ticked down in August of 21. So actually two months ago, it was 61.7%. It ticked down. That was a little bit of a surprise in September at 61.6%. Give you some some backup on that. Back in January of 20, it was 63.4%. And I think 63.4% was the highest it had been since, uh, let's look, June of 2013. So, um, and by the way, the, the labor force participation rate uh, had been steadily coming down after the 2008 financial crisis. Actually, you know, kind of too bad, right? Because it, it had started ticking up. A lot of the measures were really ticking up coming into 2020, uh, but then, then the, the COVID thing hits. But uh, that's the thing. So unemployment's coming down. It's a denominator, uh, numerator denominator problem, right? Where if you have less people as part of the the labor force, then, and your participation rate goes down, your unemployment can be going down. Down is good in unemployment, but at the same time, less people are participating in the employment picture. And so this could give, uh, so that labor force participation, that gives them an out. That gives them an out to say, look, we, uh, you know, we'd like to taper, but while, you know, the economy seems like it's, it's okay, the, the labor thing is, is not quite okay. That also brings us to wages. And so one of the other things that we're watching is wages. Wages were up in September. I think there was 0.6% month over month, and uh, they were up year over year as well. But wages are, are higher. And we'll, when we talk about inflation, that will become kind of important. And, but yeah, I mean, that, that's, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to wages. Um, the other thing we look at too is uh, they actually, they revised up August and July non-farm payrolls, but they disappointed. So less jobs uh, or less people um, you know, then, then where is expected? So non-farm payrolls. So if the Fed wanted to, there is some, some things, you know, to give them cover of, of raising rates. The challenge though, right now is the inflation picture. I just pulled some, some numbers the other day and the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland. So each, uh, you have the Fed, but then you have all the the regional banks of so St. Louis and Cleveland and San Francisco and Dallas and you know the Dallas Fed. So they have a now casting forecast 
So this just looks at data points. They're estimates. They're not certainties. But it's actually a daily now cast of inflation. And the price index for personal consumption expenditures, that's PCE, and the consumer price index, that's CPI. So looking at the estimates, and we will have September numbers, official September numbers coming out, uh, I think this week or next week. But you know their estimate right now is about uh, 0.3%. Uh, year over year, that puts September at 5.4%. September 21 over September 20. You look at October, 0.4%, and this is CPI, just the straight CPI. And year over year, the estimate is 5.67. So the Federal Reserve, one of their, their areas of cover, quote unquote, for you know, keeping rates low and keeping the, the asset purchases in place was that inflation would be transitory. Inflation would be transitory. So as we're seeing, though, uh, if I, and the, the Atlanta uh, Fed has uh, something called the sticky versus the flexible CPI. I'll get to in a second. But uh, now I think they've switched the language and it's transitory for longer or temporary for longer, which is sort of an oxymoron, isn't it? But, okay, so what does that mean? It means that there is inflation pressure and there is, uh, there is another measure that I look at, which is the sticky CPI versus the flexible CPI. And the, the sticky CPI is the stuff that's less apt to move a lot. And the flexible stuff is things that go up and down in price. And so to give you an idea, when we look at August, the flexible components of CPI were 13.7%, the 12 month, right? So year over year. Uh, July was 14.1%. So August actually came down a little bit. We'll see what September's does. But then you look at the, the sticky CPI and the August number was 2.6%. The, uh, the July was 2.5%. And you can't see my, my cursor. You can't see what I'm looking at. But basically, I look at this because the last time inflation was pretty rampant, we had bad inflation, it was the late 1970s into the early 80s. And back then, both of these lines moved up together. Uh, to give you an example, in uh, you know, where are we? October of 74, sticky CPI was 10.7% year over year, flexible is 14.6. And over time, you'll see the flexible oscillates up and down. Thus far, we really haven't seen a big move in the sticky stuff. And I know some of you are saying, wait a second, I went and got gas the other day. It was more expensive or I went and bought, uh, I don't know, um, toothpaste or something else. Um, yeah, I mean, inflation is really personal and that's the thing. That's the problem with CPI, looking at that and trying to equate it to your personal situation. You might have more medical, medical care if, you, if you're a college student or you're paying for college students, uh, cost of books and College education keeps going up and up and up. At the same time, flat screen TVs keep going down, down, down. Um, of course, some of that is the unlimited amount of capital. Uh, anybody who wants a loan can get it. And so there's no incentive necessarily for colleges to, to charge less if you know everybody can. Anyway, that's a different discussion. So, so thus far, that's the, the, the contra side of, of this inflation argument is that we haven't seen the sticky stuff go up yet. But uh, that brings us also to GDP. I follow something called the Atlanta GDP Now forecast. 
it is a now cast. Any of these that you, uh, you know, that I talk about that are now cast, basically what it is, it's forecasting method and it just looks at every bit of data that comes in. And so, for example, right now, the latest estimate of Atlanta GDP Nowcast for Q3, Q3 will not be released until the end of October, the, the, first, uh, the first glance at it, it was plus 1.3%, so positive GDP growth. But, you know, GDP estimates uh, for Q3 going back to the end of June, uh, even into uh, early August, they were above 7%, the, you know, the blue chip consensus estimates. More recently, Morgan Stanley revised down their estimate for Q3 GDP. I believe it's positive 2.9% growth. And Goldman Sachs also has brought theirs down. They're not as low as Morgan Stanley. So I bring this up because if we did have a situation where you have slowing GDP growth, you have inflation, you have um, labor force participation that's lower. That is, you know, I'm not calling stagflation or anything. But by the way, you know, I always say uh, we like to, to talk about this stuff. I mean, the reality is if you're in a portfolio that's hedged, you know, this is all conversation because you because you have uh, the basis in place to be in the market, capitalize on markets, but also materially protect the downside. So just remember that. Nothing I'm saying is saying, hey, you know, go out and buy or sell or anything like that. So anyway, so so I bring this up because, uh, you know, the definition of stagflation, and I'm not saying we have it, but if you have inflation, rising wages, rising inflation, slowing GDP growth, um, that's a challenge because if you want to, if the Fed wanted to bring down rates or, or over, you know, stop the economy from overheating, quote unquote, one of their, their moves in the toolbox besides the, the tapering would be to, to raise rates. But if you raise rates during some conditions, you actually see, you know, you see rising rates at the same time that uh, and rising prices and inflation at the same time the economy is shrinking. So it's not, it's not, they don't have a lot of, their tools aren't as good, let's say, at that type of situation. So that is, that is something to, uh, to look for. So, and I think all this, we've been talking about it here. We were very early on this program talking about the container shipping issues. Uh, Jay Pestricelli and I, Jay Pestricelli, sorry, and I were, have been talking about that multiple times on podcast that him and I were on. Uh, we'll have him back, of course. We'll have some other guests as well. But, you know, that's, uh, we were very early on that. And I saw CNBC the other day. As a Jane Wells, uh, she was out on a boat. They were taking some B-roll footage uh, of container ships. B-roll just means stuff they roll in the background while they're while they're talking. Um, she might have been live on the air on that boat too. No, I don't know. If, I, I can't remember now. But the container shipping thing is definitely front and center now. It's not one of those things in the background anymore. Uh, and the stories you're hearing are a record number of boats docked off the port of Los Angeles and Long Beach and at anchor and then you also hear stories of you know not enough trucks not enough containers um, some people say it's you know there's other challenges at, at the ports but regardless the cost of shipping a container from shanghai to la or long beach in california on the west coast i mean it was a little over a thousand bucks maybe 1500 bucks 
and now it's you know eleven thousand, twelve thousand. It's you know this gets a little complicated because some shippers sign contracts in advance, and so there's something called the spot rate. Like if you showed up on the spot and said, "Hey, I have this, this, you know, I don't know, bottle of water I want to put in a container and ship it across the ocean," um, that's one price. But so. Yeah, I mean it's. And by the way, good luck getting a container right now, uh, because there there's definitely a shortage. So I bring that up again. We've been early on that. We've been talking about it for a while, and so that's that's definitely. I I shouldn't say. Yeah, I'll say. I, I think it's definitely a big part of some of the rise in, in these prices. We know that companies brought down inventories prior to COVID, uh, or, or when COVID first started, only to have to ramp them back up again. And so all of these things can can impact I think the the Federal Reserve's, you know, decision whether or not to to raise or lower interest rates. Um, and I did mention the 10-year Treasury reached 1.6%. Uh, remember the Treasury went under 1%, it was there for a while. It had not been over 1.6% in some time. But we did get a close the other day. And the other thing we've seen is, you know, five-year rates, five-year treasuries have gone up quite a bit. I think on a percentage basis, they're up more than the 10-year. So these are all things to, uh, to watch. Um, and I always say the bond market is a great place to watch to try and figure out what's going to happen simply because, you know, bonds, uh, people buy and sell bonds and they're putting real money to work. And so that's less theoretical and more what, what people are actually doing. And so that, that's going to be a, a place to uh, to watch. And so I think you'll continue to hear about this as investors. You want to be aware of it. Remember, if you're, you've got hedges on, all this becomes noise. And you, you, don't, you don't sort of try and time this. You don't try and worry about it. And, you know, but obviously as students of the market, and many of you listening, of course, are students of the market, uh, these are all the things, the talking points that uh, the CNBCs, the the Bloombergs, and and the Fox Business are all talking about right now. So, um, a couple people had contacted me and said, you know, would you, would you do a little bit more, kind of a lay of the land on, on whether or not the Fed's going to, uh, you know, raise rates or uh, if they're actually going to uh, do a taper. And so, you know, they've they've got a um, couple more meetings, I think, before the end of the year. Uh, they release or their Fed minutes are released after meetings. So if I look here real quick, I can tell you the, the schedule, the, the Fed meetings. And some Fed meetings have more information that comes out than others. For example, the, uh, the dot plots, those are always the, uh, the forecast of economic uh, you know, projections. And the reality is a lot of those are, are wrong most of the time. Uh, but certainly they will... You know they'll they'll be uh, they'll be coming up, um, and actually Wednesday the thirteenth is uh, October thirteenth is when they release the meeting mi minutes from the September twenty first twenty second meeting, and so the the meeting is one thing, the press conference is another, and then you know twenty or so days later you get the release of these uh, these meeting minutes, and then of course you have uh, you know then you get into November, November 2nd and 3rd, there'll be a, a two-day meeting and then there'll be a press conference. And I believe that's the last one of the year, but I could be wrong on that. You know, they used, uh, it used to be they didn't 
meet as much. In fact, they used to never do a, a press conference unless they actually did anything. And Greenspan may not have even done a press conference if uh, if they did do something, meaning took action. Uh, now, December 15th, looks like. 14th and 15th is the FOMC. So if you're keeping, if you're playing the home game and you're sort of a, a, a armchair economist and a stock market aficionado, that's what you want to be watching as far as rates. Look at the, uh, the statements um, and then look at the bond market. And remember, just be hedged. All this is noise if you're hedged. Uh, remember to uh, go ahead and forward this to, uh, to other people, especially those maybe who never listened to a podcast before. I do appreciate that. We've gotten a lot of new listeners and, uh, and that's great of recent. It means we're doing something right and what can we do, be doing better? Uh, let me know. Uh, let me know if there's a topic or a guest that you'd really like to see. Uh, so with that, we'll uh, say goodbye for now, but we will be back next week. See you, everyone.